You're not the boss of me now, and you're not so big. Welcome to Life is Unfair, the Malcolm in the Middle podcast, where we are going through every episode of Malcolm in the Middle, one by one, and talking about them. Today, we're going to be talking about Season 1, Episode 8, Krellboyne Picnic. It was directed by Todd Holland, written by Michael Globerman and Andrew Orenstein, and I'm Jake, and following me is like following Streisand. And I'm David, and come with me and run away and join the circus. So this episode starts with uh, a cold open, just like most episodes. This particular one is Hal and Lois laying in bed, both pretending to be asleep as increasingly horrific noises come from the boys outside of the room. The uh, squirrel's on fire, Jake. No, it's what do we do about the squirrel, followed by I'll get the, fi- the uh, fire extinguisher and something else. That's true. But I just like the image of flaming squirrels. Yeah, me too. It's what squirrels deserve. They're monsters. Oh no, see, Jake, you see a squirrel getting burned to death. I see flaming squirrels. They're running through the house. I guarantee it. They caught it on fire, and now there's just this on-fire squirrel running through the house. A squirrel dies at the end, though. Does it? Yeah. So I it's mean, worth it. It's one of thousands, Jake. The last thing we hear from the boys is Dewey yelling, so this is what blood tastes like. Yeah, oh... Now the real question is, is, is he talking about his or the squirrels? I assume the squirrels, because he sounds very happy about it. Maybe it's Reese's blood. But anyways, Hal finally gets up and starts to leave, when he tells Lois she better be naked when he gets back, and she agrees to the terms. So covering this one is going to be weird. Very. Because there's essentially an opening that sets up the premise, and then an outro that sort of brings everything back together. But in between... With the exception of Dewey, each character kind of has their own separate plot line. I was wondering how you were going to break it up, because everyone has their own plot, but it's self-contained in an area. It's kind of like going to the mall with my family. Everybody's going to a different fucking store, but we're all under the same roof. So I think what we're going to do is we'll do the sort of introductory part of it that establishes the premise, and then we'll go through each individual character's plot line one by one, and then we'll come back around to the outro. Sounds good. Okay, so the episode starts with Reese punching Malcolm awake. Right in the face. Something I've experienced and do not recommend being <laughs> on the receiving end of that, I should reiterate. <laughs> Terrible way to wake up. Terrible. Yeah, not great. But the reason Reese is doing this is because the family has to go to Malcolm's class picnic slash academic circus, and he is upset about it because it's on a Saturday. Malcolm is also annoyed that they have to go, especially because Francis is in town, and he's worried about uh, looking like an idiot in front of all of them. And uh, we, we see that when Francis is home, he has to share a room with the rest of the boys, and he just sleeps on the ground with a pillow. Yeah, and a little, like blanket bed yes <laughs> maybe there's an air mattress under there but i'd like to think it's a pool floaty at best yeah it looked more like just when you put down a bunch of blankets and lay on that yeah yeah i i know from experience yep but malcolm has a plan to get out of it he's going to pretend to be sick which leads us to the bathroom david it does it does got a pink toilet it did uh, a- any complaints about the layout of it it's definitely different 100% different than the previous episode. I did notice that the door is in a different place. <laughs> the door is in a different place and it's connected to a different room because it's the same pink toilet. It's the pink toilet. Which is connected to the boys' room in, when Francis escapes. Yes. 
and it was connected to a hall, and the door was in a different place. Yes. Because the door was next to the toilet instead of in the middle of the room, where it would have then led into the boys' room, where Francis is then standing against the door frame, cleaning himself off, and implying that, you know, he'd finally taken a shower and stuff. This is bullshit. I had a feeling you'd have complaints. <laughs> Look... I made a thing about it, then you made it a bigger deal. I'm gonna notice from now on. <laughs> but Malcolm's plan backfires is when Lois comes in and looks in the toilet that Malcolm is making vomiting noises over. She says they're still going, and now he's grounded for pouring perfectly good vegetable soup in the toilet, and he has to pay her back for the cost of the soup. <laughs> Yes, you owe me 49 cents, mister. But, Remember when soup was that cheap? No. I, I do. But that leads us to the breakfast table, where they are all, all gathered around, uh, eating, preparing for the Krellboin picnic. The children, with the exception of Dewey, are complaining about having to go. Malcolm informs them there, there won't be any meat there, which leads Hal to start talking about the health benefits of a vegetarian diet and talk about how he's been considering going on that diet himself while eating a sausage. As he takes just a huge mouthful of sausage. Malcolm goes to Francis for help. He wants Francis' help getting out of having to do his demonstration at the academic circus. Francis agrees to help him. They hatch a little plan to get away. And uh, that is it for breakfast. From there we go to the picnic. Yep, and that is where kind of everything diverges. They all show up together, you have the the Malcolm thoughts, and then everything just sort of disperses. Yes. Let's start with Hal's, because I feel like it's the simplest. I also love it. So as previously stated, the Krellboins had voted not to eat anything that had a pulse. No, it was specifically, they weren't going to serve anything that once had a mother. Got it. So you can eat orphans. That's what I'm hearing. I mean, I hate you for saying that because that was 100% the joke I made in my head when they said it that way. But yeah, yeah. Uh, hashtag Jonathan Swift was right. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Look, it's a Krellboin episode. I have to get all my Krellboin jokes out, David. But with Malcolm's information in mind, Hal has brought a cooler full of meat. Yes, which you discover is, is meat in a fun little way. I like that. He sees the grill, has that sort of instant aha moment and completely tunes out from what Lois and all of the other women standing there are talking about and then says something like yeah sure okay and then walks away and then is very very dejected when he gets there and finds tofu in the shape of chicken legs and sausages and things like that and uh, makes a very disgusted Brian Cranston face asks the other dad in in true dad fashion if he wants to cook something good. And then he opens the cooler and you see just giant sausages and huge hamburgers crammed into this cooler. And the other dad asks him, is that meat? And he, very pleased and satisfied with himself, responds, nothing but. The tofu here looks especially disgusting. I'm pretty sure what they did is they just painted actual sponges. It might have been sponges, it might have been foam, or like... Yeah, that, that would also make sense. Yeah, it definitely That's... is not tofu. No. <laughs> like, I've had tofu and things, and yeah. I'm not a fan of tofu, but there are some ways that I've had it prepared where it was actually tasty. 
Oh, yeah. Um, I've had super good vegetarian burgers. Yeah, okay, yeah, but most of the time they weren't mostly tofu, but, like... Accurate. <laughs> I've had tofu itself yeah, made in a yeah. way that was It, it can be good. good. Yeah, this is not that. No. This is... This is a stereotypical, like, pre-health food education tofu what a Midwesterner thinks of when they hear tofu. Looks so gross. And then they were cut into the little shapes of whatever they were supposed to be. Except for the burgers, which were square for whatever reason. Maybe they were trying to trick people into thinking that's Wendy's. Maybe. Got the square burgers. That is their thing. Hal starts cooking up the meat. When we come back to that, we see him serving the meat, and we also see Dewey eating raw meat. <laughs> and Hal makes a comment that lets you know that this is not the first time. They've clearly had a very serious discussion about raw meat. Then Hal's little plot line comes to a head towards the end of the episode when the Krellboins realize that their tofu burgers are bleeding, and they all start screaming because they are eating meat. I do want to point out, and I like the fact that it's the kids who notice, the, the adults could give a shit less. In fact, several of them were uh, very much so enthused, coming back to Hal for more. Yes. And then, uh, yes, two of the children notice, and the one starts punching himself in the stomach. Like, I think he's supposed to be, like, trying to make himself vomit via a poorly executed self-Heimlich maneuver. It's weird. Uh, these aren't just any Krell boys who realize this, David. These are Dabney and Lloyd, who will be sort of the, I'd say, like, recurring B-tier Krell boys throughout the show. Dabney Hooper is played by Kyle Sullivan, and Lloyd is played by Evan Matthew Cohen. We have one more important Krell boy who's yet to be introduced... But this episode sort of sets up the uh, rest of the important members, mostly these two. Okay, interesting. I did not know that. Haven't seen them, I think, ever in any of the sparse watching that I've done before. They're two of the only, you know, non-Malcolm and Stevie Krellboins whose names I, I could tell you off the top of my head. Fair but enough. There'll, but like I said, there will be one more who will be introduced who's important. But the sort of bow on Hal's plotline, in a later scene, he will show back up. It cuts in, like, mid-conversation with him talking to another parent, just saying, Real meat, can you believe it? <laughs> Very clearly trying to deflect the blame. When everyone starts to panic, and there's uproar about the meat, Hal immediately hides the oven mitt that he had on, and takes the apron that he had off, does a little twirl, and immediately runs away. Yes. And runs into another family member who we'll talk about later, who's also running away. They both bump into each other, and they both say, I didn't do it. Yes. And then they run away. <laughs> Going in order from sort of simplest up, I think we should go to Francis next. I think his is the next easiest to cover. Yeah, him or Reese. Either one is... They're yeah. Both, yeah. It's fairly close in complexity. Yeah. But... France's plotline is essentially an entire teenage love story condensed into one day, which is genius. It was pretty great. As they arrive at the picnic, Francis is uh, agreeing with Malcolm about how lame it is, and he uh, says, you know, we may not even wait the 15 minutes, we may leave in 10, and then he sees a girl. Yep, they lock eyes across the parking lot, and it's over for Malcolm and Francis's plan. In fact, Malcolm continues to talk to him, and he just, well, literally, Malcolm drowns out. Yes. <laughs> the sound of uh, his voice just disappears as you get this Francis infatuation moment. They 
meet up behind a building where they are both smoking. Francis says, so, you here? Yep. And she, she asks, you? And he also replies, yep. And they start making out. Yeah, that seems about right. It's the appropriate amount of small talk for teenagers. Any more than that and it just gets dangerous. Then we see Francis introducing her to Hal. Yeah, in a very played up sort of way. Kind of to uh, mirror that, you know, we've been in this long relationship and I'm introducing you to my parents for the first time. Yep. (laughs) Including, as they're walking away, Francis says to her, Man, I'm really glad that went well. They have the stereotypical lines of the girl Francis is wooing says, Oh, it's so nice to meet you. Francis has told me so much about you. And then Hal... With it being impossible for it to have been true, as he has not talked to Francis during all of this, as, yeah, you too. And there's Brian Cranston manages to pull off this face that is both happy and, and pleasant, and, and, you know, Hal is definitely trying to be polite, but also there's that touch of bewilderment, along with a very clear underlying tone of i don't give a shit (laughs) yeah it's obvious hal has immediately like figured out exactly what this relationship is (laughs) yeah and is not going to invest in it at all yeah i feel like francis has done this a lot probably yeah yeah and hal is just used to this like yeah okay you too i mean we learned from the last episode that francis is the the hopeless romantic teenager it's true Who's going to think every relationship he's in is the most important thing in the world while it's going on. The next scene is the inevitable breakup of this relationship. As they begin fighting, as this girl is jealous of the paramedic, which we'll explain why there's paramedics later, <laughs> was getting too touchy with Francis. She just wanted to make sure I hadn't been exposed to anything. Oh, and you loved it, didn't you? And she says that maybe they should stop seeing each other, and then she gets very offended when Francis agrees, and they start giving each other all of their stuff back, which in this one day they have exchanged an absurd amount of stuff between each other. Did you take notes? Because I did. I I did not. I know exactly. So she gives back his uh, class ring. He gives her back a something on a keychain. I didn't catch what it was. But it's some sort of keychain that looks obnoxious and crazy. And then uh, she gives him back... Damn it, I missed one in my notes. But she gives him back something and I don't remember... Uh, his sweater. There it is. Yeah, your shirt. That's what it was. And then he gives her back a mixtape. And then uh, she... Specifically, it's a Depeche Mode cassette. True. And then she gives him back... Yeah, and then he gives. Uh, she gives him back the book that he lent her. And then he gives her back her two poems... Yep. You're missing one. Am the I? The final one. Oh, yeah, no, 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 no. Yeah, because this one grossed me the yeah. fuck out. <laughs> uh, Francis then gives her back her chewing gum. Yes. And she puts it in her mouth. Gross. It is gross. It is also a thing that in high school I saw teenagers doing with each other constantly. Ugh. Yep. Gross. I agree. <laughs> then the final scene for the Francis plot line is the awkward bumping into your ex scene. <laughs> Are they bumping to each other as they're both leaving? The picnic. The same yes. day. Yeah, the same day. Yeah. They have the like, okay, we've been exes for a while. We've had times to get over each other. We can be friends now kind of vibe going on. They're both looking each other over. Francis is smiling. He says, oh, you look good. Yeah. They're, they're all like very typical like teenage romance scenes but just the condensing of time makes them 
very funny. Basically, someone took a rom-com and crammed it into about five minutes worth of footage, if that. So much of these interactions has to be done non-verbally with how short each of them is. They did an excellent job. See, now I kind of want to look up who played the, the girlfriend. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure who played the girlfriend. Do we ever get a name for the girlfriend? I don't think so. I didn't think until halfway through the episode to start looking for it, was but her... in the last two scenes, we definitely don't. Was her name Jody? I think it's Jody. Yep, it's Jody. Jody is played by Catherine Ellis. Uh, this will shock you, David, but she is not a recurring character. Wow. Anyways, uh, I, I do have to give them their props, like I said, because th there was a lot of good acting. Uh, and a lot of good just non-verbal communication done in these short scenes to make everything work. Because it really is like what Jake said. They crammed an entire genre or movie uh, into about five minutes. Yeah, and I think that's something that Todd Holland as a director is very good at. Sort of along those lines of uh, almost all of his episodes that we've seen have really good montages. It's something he's just really good at is using visual storytelling to sort of condense a plot. People like that have to be very good about picking out what's actually important to something, which he seems to do a really good job at. Because you can't make these montages and these little dumb fun jokes like what they do with Francis unless I'm actually able to deconstruct something and say, okay, why does this work? What makes this important? Why does this connect with people? And then I need to hit all of those points, which I think he does a really good job of. So from there, we can cover Reese next. Ah, yes. So as soon as they get to the picnic, Reese cracks his knuckles and gets very excited about all the Krellboyne ass he's going to kick today. Then he wanders off from the rest of the family, and when we next see him, he is hiding in some bushes, doing nature documentary narrating as he watches a group of Krellboynes. He then proceeds to chase them down until he separates one. Specifically, he separates a racer head, and he then corners him against a fence, and he is about to start beating up a racer head when his brother Alphonse shows up behind Reese, who is much larger. He is very clearly like a high school student. <laughs> so when we come back to Reese, it's a close-in of him. And he's talking about how he loves Krellboins and he would never beat them up and all of this stuff. And it slowly zooms out to show that Reese is hanging by his underwear on a fence. And Alphonse and Eraserhead are discussing the physics of how he's been hung. Yes, it's very good hang time. Well, you see, it's all about the tensile strength of the elastic waistband. I also really like that Alphonse is dressed almost identically to Eraserhead. Yes basically exactly the same thing like it's it's just a racer head but you know huge sort of like hal trying to redirect blame and sort of a throwaway line we get a little bow for reese at the end of the episode where he walks up to lloyd as they're leaving asks do you have any brothers lloyd says no and reese immediately punches him yep which then leaves lloyd crying into his science project poor lloyd for side plots that just leaves lois Lois's plotline centers around her conflict with Doreen, who is Dabney's mom. Lois approaches the, like, table where they have all the food set up with a pan of brownies. Doreen asks her if there's nuts in it. When Lois says that there are, she immediately throws them in the trash. And makes a spectacle out of it. She slams them into the 
trash can. The reason she does this, she states, is because there's kids with nut allergies. Not there, just in general, there are kids with nut allergies. Yeah, you can't, we can't have these. There's so many kids that are deathly allergic to these. Oh my gosh, I didn't know. Who's, whose kid is allergic? Oh, no one here. Uh, but she reassures Lois that she's not trying to publicly embarrass her. People like that drive me up a fucking wall. I wanted Lois to punch this lady so bad. The next scene we get between them is Doreen sort of scolding Lois but for Malcolm's bad language as he taught other children the R word. And, uh assures her oh i'm sure it's something he picked up on the street not at home lois also makes it very clear she doesn't know what the r word is in this scene doesn't she say something along the lines of like R- go r yourself yeah, or yeah. something like that as yeah. doreen walks away she mutters go r yourself when it comes back to doreen and lois doreen is sort of courting over the other mothers at a table talking about the trip that she wants canceled to a ghost town and about how it's going to be canceled. Because ghost towns lead to the occult, which leads to state college. There's a lot of logical just leaps in this show that I'm willing to forgive. This is an interesting one. I should have said earlier, but Doreen will also be a recurring character. She is played by Beth Grant. She's horrible. But I also, like, just the dynamic. And uh, Lois immediately, uh, after hearing the... Uh, conversation and i i use air quotes there for the people who can't see me because doreen is telling the other mothers what the issues are and then puts it to a vote and then says okay we're all in agreement basically and lois calls her out on it and basically says something to the effect of i haven't heard anything from any of these people in fact, I've only heard things from you. Yes, and she throws the mother's group into chaos as they turn on Doreen, revealing that Doreen has been calling one of them by the wrong name the entire time. And her husband told her to stand up to her. And they proceed to tear each other apart like a pack of wild dogs that has been thrown raw meat. And it's great. The last interaction between Doreen and Lois that we get is Doreen comes up to Lois and essentially threatens her uh, saying that she'll never be a part of the PTA or anything along those lines. Serve on any subcommittees or or have any responsibilities or hold any position with the school. Which it's immediately obvious, even if you're not familiar with the show, that Lois does not care about any of this. Even she asks her, is that a promise? Which, by the way, would 100% be my response. Wait, wait, wait. I got to piss you off and you're telling me I have no additional responsibilities that I don't want? Sign me the fuck up. Well, that pretty much wraps things up for Lois as a character. We do get one last scene with Dory. We do get a last scene with Dory, and you also get the fun little lines back and forth between Hal and Lois here, which closes out everything with those two, because you get the interaction of Hal as this scene is beginning to unfold. This is where Hal is telling the other random parent that they're sitting with about the meat. Who could believe it? And then Doreen storms up and does her thing and storms off. And then Hal looks at Lois and says, I see you've made a new friend. Oh yeah, we're going shopping for new shoes. Just super flippant. And I love Lois. That character is amazing. Yeah, Lois is great. But the final scene we get with Doreen is her scolding Dabney for not being as smart as Malcolm. Yep. So with that, let's go to the last character we have left who has a full plot line, Malcolm. So we've already covered Malcolm's failed 
plan with Francis, which has left him desperate to find another way of getting out of doing his presentation. We see him talking to Stevie, who is supposed to follow Malcolm in their presentation. He's very worried about it. Hence where Jake's opening line comes from. Because following Malcolm is like following Streisand. I feel like that's a reference that is fading into obscurity. But between this... Oh, we, we also see all of the Krellboins cheering Malcolm's name when he first arrives. Yes, because he's assuring everyone that he's not a freak. Lois tells Malcolm, oh look, they're your friends. They're not my friends. And then they begin cheering, Malcolm, Malcolm. Through the course of the episode, a couple different times, Miss Miller, their teacher, approaches Malcolm to make sure that everything is set up for his presentation. It's very clear from everyone's behavior that the success of the academic circus is dependent on Malcolm doing whatever he's going to do. Yes, which they're very secretive about and don't show him prepping like any of the other kids. It very much so seems like Malcolm has just blown it off like so many of his other things and not prepared any sort of talent or thing to do. This episode sort of establishes the dynamic that even among the Krellboins, Malcolm is sort of exceptional. Which is interesting because half the time he's such a dolt. The next big thing that happens is Stevie leaves all of his chemicals that he has for his presentation with Malcolm, and he asks Malcolm to watch over them. Malcolm takes a look at the chemicals and says, you know, in the wrong hands, these chemicals could be used to make a huge sink bomb. Then he looks down at his hands and says, these look wrong enough. Also, as a child who was homeschooled and given a uh, chemistry set at a young enough age, he's not wrong. We did some horrible things with chemicals, that might have lasting effects. We'll find out when I'm old. Malcolm's stink bomb plan also goes wrong. So wrong. <laughs> we see a large explosion of smoke with people running away and coughing. Malcolm walks away from this huge explosion and toxic gas rolling out. And he says, okay, the difference between a stink bomb and a level three toxic biohazard is apparently two extra drops of sulfur tetroxide. I'm totally suing that website, which is pretty great. That is why the paramedics were there for Francis' bloodline. And as Malcolm is backing away from this is when he runs into Hal and they both turn towards each other and say, I didn't do it. Because this is an unfolding as the meat scandal is happening and unfolding. So you have people coughing and gagging in one corner from this level three biohazard and then you also have a bunch of kids gagging coughing and vomiting from finding out that they've eaten meat but we move from there to malcolm taking miss miller a burger as she is crying in the classroom away from the picnic it's also worth pointing out since we haven't already that she is dressed as a clown as all of this is going on a clown in a ringmaster's outfit so she is both a clown and the ringmaster i don't know she mixed things up uh, well, well she she's a normal david she wasn't a crowd boy that makes sense she is openly sobbing as things have gone horribly wrong and she is almost certainly going to be fired for uh, how horribly this entire picnic has gone. <laughs> yes, uh, and is very, very distraught. Enough so that she is eating the burger. Malcolm brings her, even after finding out that it's regular meat. Yes, and when Malcolm uh, asks if she would like another, she says yes. Uh, it's like a weird moment where, like, hamburgers have taken the role of alcohol. <laughs> 
it definitely feels that way. She starts to pull a handkerchief out of her uh, sleeve to then cry into, and she pulls like five or six of the ones that are tied together, the little like magic clown handkerchiefs, which shows just how over the top she went with all of this. Yeah. And then she proceeds to shove like all six of these handkerchiefs into her face. I will say, this episode makes me much more sympathetic towards Miss Miller. Having not been a fan of her in the previous episodes, this is the one where she sort of wins me over and I start to sympathize with her a little. I've seen her class. I sympathize with her just entirely. Fair enough. Also, how did she get this job teaching those kids? That's a question for another episode. This finally makes Malcolm feel bad enough that he is going to do his presentation he goes on stage and he asks for credit card numbers which for some reason two men give him their credit cards he specifically asks two people to show him credit cards and then he reads the numbers and then tells them to put them away true also weird yeah (laughs) but also 2000 i mean yeah i guess fair enough this is pre-9-11 and he's a kid nobody nobody cares it's fucking America. Nothing bad happens. That's just stuff that happens on TV. I see. I remember 1990 through 2000 pretty well, and everybody was just super, super accepting and, and trusting. I feel like none of my neighbors even lock their doors until after 9-11, man. Yeah, I, I guess. But I feel like credit card frauds existed already. Oh, it definitely existed, but it's like, okay, when I was a kid, like, we knew this family who had scam after scam pulled on them, but they kept going for it because, like, they're just, I don't know, there was this disconnect in people's brains. We didn't understand how to protect ourselves from anything, some people. And, I mean, you still had the weird wacko nutjobs who had bunkers buried in the hills and every new thing that was coming out was the end of the world. We still have those people. But, by and large, you had way less people who understood how things like credit card scams work. These things that now the layperson understands and knows exists. This trend of everyone being on board with shredding their mail and burning it. Like, that shit didn't happen when we were right. kids. No, I, I see your larger point, and I agree. It just still seems, even in that context, insane to directly give a stranger your credit card number. I've talked a lot of people when I was a kid into doing a lot of dumb things. So I get it. Yeah, I guess. Also, I have seen people just straight up throw their credit cards to stage magicians, and this is 100% set up that way. I get he's a kid. And it's not that, but I think that's kind of like the thing they're going for. I guess. <laughs> that's immediately what it made me think of, is like those Vegas yeah, shows yeah. back in the day. Not even back in the day, it's still a thing. I feel like people wouldn't give a credit card directly, but I, I feel like people do still get do the thing where like, give them their phone or their wallet or things like that. You don't do either of those things, by the way. Just heads up. Protect yourself. I don't care if it's part of the magic show. Don't give him your fucking wallet. He's Uh, stealing your shit. It's part of the magician's code. They can't steal things, David. Yeah, whatever. I've seen Now You See Me. And Now You See Me too. You have my condolences. Yeah, they were not good movies. Malcolm then proceeds to have memorized both credit card numbers, which he tells everyone in the audience the numbers. Now see. And the participants confirm that that is in fact the correct number. Now that's the part that makes me go... 
<laughs> also, I was surprised that it didn't cut to Reese and or Francis writing down the numbers. Because that was 100% something oh, they'd be doing. The first time I saw this, I remember thinking, this is leading to Malcolm stealing their identity, right? And that was in 2000, to your point, David. As a child, in 2000, I recognized this was a bad idea. Yeah, and you're a cynical asshole. I don't get what your point is. <laughs> I'm saying these guys are idiots, is what I'm saying. Oh, I'll agree with that. So you should have just said that. Malcolm proceeds to do... A lot of math. He adds the digits on each of the cards together, which comes out to 74 on one and 66 on the other. And then a bunch of math that I can't memorize from there. I'm not a math guy. Me neither. <laughs> I hope that it's right. I would imagine that they did enough I assume to so, make sure it's but right. But I, I was absolutely not going to double check that. Like, I kind of want to figure out if they at least got the square root right. I'm pulling up a calculator right now as we're talking, because I'm going to check. See, because he, well, he gets the two numbers, and then he multiplies them, and you get 4,884. They do do something clever to cover their tracks there, though, because, the, like, the first few are, like, back-to-back. Back. We know exactly what equations he's doing, but eventually they, like, cut away to imply that time has passed and Malcolm is still going, so we don't know the exact numbers they're working with anymore. Yep. Which, again, like you said, is brilliant. It's a, a smart way to do it, regardless of whether or not they actually did the math on it. I'm doing the math on it. I mean, close enough. Fair enough. <laughs> the crowd is initially incredulous, and they say, how do we even know these numbers are right? And we see Eraserhead raise up a calculator and say, oh, he's right. The Krellboins are very excited about all of this math that he's doing. <laughs> yes, and then they start throwing extra little challenges. Divide it by pi, multiply it by this. Uh, what if it's base eight is my favorite one. <laughs> yes. Somebody yells out for the arc tangent, uh, natural log. Like, the only ones that stuck with me were terms that I like knew what the hell right uh, yeah i i got through pre-calculus as the most advanced math i've ever done i understood all but like one of the things they were calling for him to do i couldn't do them even I... with a calculator <laughs> at this point but <laughs> i recognize what that meant i i got the calculus but i have forgotten pretty much everything above algebra at this point basic college level algebra i'm pretty sure i could still do anything past that nope uh, even that, it's hit or miss whether I remember it or not. <laughs> Fair enough. My favorite thing that's shouted out is, uh, the capital of Iceland. Yes, which he promptly answers, but then adds, but that's not math. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> As this is going, the crowd is getting increasingly into it and impressed with Malcolm. But Malcolm's family, after initially, you know, clapping and cheering him on, has fallen silent and they are just kind of staring at him as he does this. We see this continued sort of in the final scene. As everyone except for Malcolm piles into the car, talking to each other, chatting, making references to things that had happened in the episode. Then Malcolm gets in and they all fall completely silent. Dewey breaks the silence by asking, is Malcolm a robot? Hal's response is great. He looks very pensively and says, no, he's just very, 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 very smart. Francis breaks the ice by holding up two fingers and asking Malcolm, Hey Malcolm, how many fingers am I holding up? Which then leads into the entire family sort of teasing Malcolm in very 
standard Wilkerson fashion. Reese burps in his face and asks him to analyze what he had for lunch. Lois asks how he can keep track of all those numbers, but he can't remember to brush his teeth. And then Hal suggests that they go to the Burger Barn. And the episode ends with them driving away as they all chant, Burger Barn, Burger Barn. It's pretty great. And I really like this episode. And we'll probably talk about it a little more as we get into the awards. But you really see some real character development here for Malcolm beyond just he's a massive piece of shit. Because so far, all of the character building episodes for specifically Malcolm have kind of made him look like a piece of shit. He is a piece of shit. He is, but <laughs> you you get something a little more tangible, a little more real as to who the character is supposed to be and his relationship with the family in this one. So, Looking at the series as a whole, a big theme for Malcolm is that he is isolated by his intelligence. Uh, he feels sort of separated from his family, but he also sort of doesn't have a place. Like I said, even among the Krellboins, he's sort of held on a pedestal above them. Uh, sort of the smartest of the smart kids. No, I, I get that. And I also get how that would make you feel alienated. I do have a few things that I have labeled other shit from the episode. <laughs> uh, a few moments from the episode that don't actually fit with any of the plots. The, the closest thing to Dewey having his own plot line, we get one scene of Dewey where he sits down next to Miss Miller, who is sort of starting to panic about things going wrong, having one of those conversations where it's very obvious that she's just talking to essentially have a conversation with herself. She's talking at Dewey. Then Dewey says, I'm sorry. She says, No, he says, excuse oh, me. Oh yeah, excuse me. Because he's a well-mannered young man. She says, for what? And then there's a pause, and then she makes a face that makes it apparent Dewey has let a horrible fart go right next to her, and she runs away. It's from all that raw meat. Yes, this, uh, this is following the raw meat scene, so it <laughs> makes sense. If I ate that much raw meat, I would also be gassy. I guess. I don't know. I've never eaten raw meat. Right? I'm just assuming. <laughs> then we get to see two of the Krellboins' presentations. Other than Malcolm's, we yeah. see we see Dabney's, which he is on stage with a microscope. He's doing like a cellular mitosis demonstration, which yeah. obviously the crowd can't see. Right. <laughs> so it's just him standing on stage, looking into a microscope, yelling, I've done it. The crowd is very like bored and gone and... Uh, yes, o only Caroline reacts at all. She does like little clap and she looks around at the audience, none of whom are paying attention. Yes. And then she rushes him off of stage and then tries to get them all excited and thinks that her mic is not working. We also get to see Lloyd's demonstration. He has made a super magnet. And he has braces. Yes. <laughs> of course, his uh, braces cause his face to slam into the magnet. With a satisfying thud. It's one of those things. It's done over and over again. Doesn't matter. Super funny. Yep. Then let's move on to the awards. What did you have for your roller skating king award? The award that we give to the best visual moment in the episode. I had a lot, but I narrowed it down to giving the award to the way they did Stevie's chemicals exploding because I really liked that. It was understated enough that they didn't actually have to like blow anything up 
they very easily could have replicated that with some sugar glass beakers, baking soda, vinegar, and a smoke effect. So it was very simple, but it also gave enough of an impact that with the other chaos of having the... Like, it's interesting because the explosion is actually not that large. Right. But they pair it with having a bunch of extras reacting to it in a drastic way as well as having Malcolm react to it. And they have this panic that's ensuing from the meat crisis is now spilling into this scene. So you have this sort of feeling that it's much worse. And then, of course, Malcolm throws out that trigger word of biohazard, which immediately makes everybody's brain light up. They realistically use psychology on you to make it feel like this is a much bigger thing that just happened than what it actually is. I love when they do those kind of things. It's a super understated practical effect that provides you with the story and the narrative and the scenario without having to break into where now we have to somehow give this character a chance to monologue so you can explain all of the things that just happened because we weren't able to convey it with our practical effects and, and our imagery. They have yet to do that in this show, and I greatly appreciate that. Yeah, and I think a part of that is just the, the fact that because it's a sitcom, it has to be 24 minutes you can't waste time with that kind of thing. You sort of have to establish everything uh, as efficiently as possible. Whereas a lot of dramas tend to be 45 to 55 minutes. Uh, longer now, if it's on a streaming site, they can go as long as they want. So they don't have to worry about that kind of thing. That's True. why you get a lot of redundancies. Yeah, I think that's part of it. I think the other thing, too, is is you got to remember, this show's still in its first season. And yeah... It may have had a decent-sized budget, but you're oh, also... Oh, it had a big budget, especially for a sitcom. I'm, I'm sure. I, we've discussed that before. But realistically and regardless, you're still... You're talking about paying actors, going to sites, moving sets. How much of my budget am I really willing to spend on this gig? For my Roller Skating King Award, I went with Reese's nature documentary scene. Like I said in the recap, it starts with Reese in some bushes looking at a group of Prowlboins... When it cuts from Reese to the Krellboins, it's even like a long distance shot, uh, sort of like it's from Reese's point of view, which I think was really clever. Then when Reese makes a noise and alerts the Krellboins, we get close-ins of the Krellboins where they're looking around like meerkats. Yeah, you have this sort of upward angle shot. It makes it look like they're all perking up. They're darting their head back and forth like what meerkats do yeah, when they're it's alerted. The same camera angle you always see for meerkats uh, in nature documentaries where it's like really close low to the ground uh they, they've recreated that visually with the cameras and then the actor's body language uh sells that you instantly know they're acting like meerkats yeah it was pretty great then we get an aerial view shot reese rushing them from the bushes after he roars and like a nature documentary we get the aerial view we see the Krellboins running initially as a herd until Reese manages to separate one of them. He then stops and in a very animalistic way sort of looks at the herd of three, then looks over, realizes that one of them is off alone, and starts chasing that one. Uh, it, it's one of those things, it's both visually impressive, and it's also a great way to have a visual gag 
that goes along with Reese's commentary. That was one that made my list. The other one was the very beginning, the the punching the camera to show uh, waking up Malcolm by punching him. Those were my three that were on my list. Let's along those lines. What did you have for your best line of the episode, David? This one I had two. One of my favorite lines of the episode was actually uh, at the end with Stevie. And it's, it's a series of lines, realistically. But it's the exchange between Malcolm and Stevie. As Malcolm is pushing Stevie away, because Stevie was very excited to do his chemical show. And Malcolm is pushing him away from there. And he said, was it as bad as I, I, as I think? And Stevie responds, shove the sympathy, showboat. Uh, we have already mentioned the line that I, I've decided to give best line. Uh, but it's where Malcolm has uh, Stevie's chemicals. He says, in the wrong hands, these chemicals could be used to make a massive stink bomb. Then he looks down at his own hands and says... These hands look wrong enough. That is what my uh, second one was. That's why I went with the other one. I, I enjoy the Stevie Malcolm banter in this yeah. one. Uh, my backup line was <laughs> from Caroline Miller, and it's, My parents were right. I never should have left the cannery. <laughs> We've talked about a lot of options for it, so let's go to the OK Boomer Award. Oh, the award God. we give to a moment or line or thing that firmly sets the episode <laughs> in its time of release. I'm going to go first on this one because I knew going through this that I was going to talk about at least one or two pre-getting to the awards. So I tried to pick one that was less obvious than I think the others. Okay. And it is the dad yelling at Miss Miller as she walks away. The PTA is online. Are you aware of the power of the internet, ma'am? That was uh, on the list for me. Nice. It was one that I considered. But I think I, I'm going to choose the reaction to Malcolm's accidental bomb. The fact that there weren't cops taking Malcolm away places it as a very pre-9-11 thing. Y yes. <laughs> yeah, the, the reaction is super underwhelming. <laughs> it's two dudes in a biohazard suit, a cop, and like a fire truck. Post 9-11, if this happens, the school's on lockdown, nobody's going anywhere, people are going to jail, people are getting interrogated, like, shit's going down. Who did you have for least shitty kid, David? I mean, do you have to ask? He ate raw meat, David. So what? <laughs> wow. And that beats any of the other bullshits? No. No. They were all pieces of shit in this episode. What did all Francis do? He was a narcissistic asshole. <laughs> and he broke a promise to his brother. Yeah. And while hilarious that they shrunk all that BS into this one episode, that whole interaction, horrible. No. Francis Lee should have killed the episode. He didn't eat raw meat. <laughs> what the f- Wow. I like where you draw the lines. Dewey ate raw meat. He's a monster. Francis, you know, just fell for literally literally the first girl that he saw. Made out with her behind a freaking. I think it's the shitters. Seems like it. And then goes through this whole thing and then just breaks up with her for just the most arbitrary bullshit reason. It was a mutual breakup. Mm, kinda, but not really. It was, though. I mean, eh. 
look, they were both assholes. I'm not saying she's not in the running or she would be at the top. All right, she's worse than Francis. All right, now that Fran- seems like a bigger stretch. That's a whole other issue. I completely <laughs> disagree with that. I think she's equally shitty with Francis, which mm. is not very. She puts the okay. Gum she did back put the gum. Yeah, 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 yeah. That, that that gets eating raw meat. They're on par. Fair enough. He ate raw meat. He was hungry. It's gross, David. He was hungry, and there was no real food done yet. Listen, we've held Dewey eating gross stuff against him in the past. There's a precedent. This falls in line with that. This isn't that gross. It's not gross enough to to mark him. Oh, it's super gross meat. Really? Yeah. I guess if it were any other meat, but it's fucking hamburger, so eh. People eat that shit raw. Yeah, people get sick from eating it raw all the time. It's gross. And there's, and, and usually when people say, oh, I'm eating it raw, there's a, a cooking process involved. Well, not a cooking process, a preparation process involved. This is just eating raw meat out of the package. It's gross. It's not that gross. It's pretty gross. No, the chewing gum thing is way grosser. I disagree. I find the eating raw meat grosser. Well, there's something wrong with you. <laughs> As Realistically, they were making out before that. It's not that different. What do you think making out is? Like, do you think you just spit into somebody's mouth or? No, but they were, their tongues were in each other's mouths, David. Yeah, and that's perfectly natural. Yeah, the chewing gum isn't any worse than that, realistically. It is. It's not. I get when I see someone do it, I'm like, ew. (laughs) But thinking about it logically, it's not that much worse. The raw meat's grosser. No, he was hungry. It was there. There was no real food. Yeah, you know what? He he was hungry and it was there when he was eating garbage under the couch. That shit was all hairy and nasty and gross. You're clearly wrong. It's gross and Dewey needs to be held accountable. It's, Francis is the least shitty kid. It's gross, but it's less gross than the chewing gum. Not accurate. <laughs> no, it's 100% accurate. Moving on before we get stuck on this. <laughs> okay. You are the worst. You're the you're the shittiest son. <laughs> wow. <laughs> With that, who in the episode, (laughs) meaning I'm not on the table, is the shittiest son then, David? Oh, uh, Reese. Now, before you give me that look, I had a hard time debating between Malcolm and Reese. For a long time, it was Malcolm. And it should, I admit, stay Malcolm. However, I chose Reese because... I am pro-change and pro-recovery and pro-redemption, and you get some of that with Malcolm. There is no redemption in Reese at all, and that True. is why he got the shittiest son. Now, I can see by the look on your face that we're going to have a long conversation about this. Two words, David. <laughs> Biohazard. Which I realize is one hyphenated word. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Look, yeah, he accidentally made a biological weapon. He was just trying to make a stink bomb. We have literally all been there. No. Those of us in this room, yes, we have. No. Yes. You were definitely with us when we did some of that shit when we were a kid. No. Yes. I was there for accidental fires started. (laughs) I was there for many accidental injuries. You were there when we made some of our weed killers. Incorrect. 
I heard stories about these things. I never saw them. Regardless. I also never did any of that at my own home because I never had a chemistry set, even though for like three years I asked for it for Christmas and my birthday every day. Look, Malcolm has a conscience. He feels bad for his teacher. He goes on stage and does his thing because he's trying to save the event. Oh, you, he, you mean when he goes on stage and commits credit card fraud? He did not defraud them. Prove it. It's not in the episode. Prove it. Using your own logic, there is no fraud. He's just using math. Like to point out, we've come full circle. I keep bringing up the it's not in the episode thing because that was your argument a couple times earlier. I'm aware <laughs> because that is normally the logic I go off of, but I'm using it against you again. Okay, so fuck you. He committed potential credit card fraud. True. But again, minor crime. Okay, without a dollar, look, without a, without a dollar amount attached to it, it could just be a misdemeanor, Jake. May not even be a felony. Not a big deal. These kids have definitely done felonies. All right, moving past that. He takes a burger to his teacher as a peace offering and a clear metaphor for giving her a drink. And he talks to her and lets her vent and feel better. And then he does his thing, tries to save the show and make her day better. And then he also realizes something about himself and his family and how there's this whole underlying arc and a lot of it's subtly done about how he really just wanted to fit in with his family and he didn't want to be ostracized and he didn't want to be different. So he wasn't embracing who he was and how smart he was because he was afraid his family wouldn't love him as much if they found out that he was a freak. And then they did find out and were okay with it and that made him feel better and then he found out that he still had his place with the family and they mocked him just the same some redemption qualities there reese was just a prick who literally was only stopped because a bigger prick showed up i don't know that i'd call him a bigger prick he just protects his little brother fair my statement to alphonse is unfair by the way david I agree. Reese shitty skin. I just okay. wanted to argue. Fuck you! <laughs> I did consider Malcolm. I also did. Also, Reese hit the fucking other kid, Lloyd, on the way out. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have any brothers? No. Wham! <laughs> fucking praying on the weak. <laughs> Fuck you, Reese. So, whose plot line did you like the most? Who? What got your A plot of the heart? That's a good question, because I wasn't sure if we were going to actually break it down into separate plot lines. I wasn't sure how you were going to approach this episode. Yeah, fair enough. Because of how everything's so, like, it's it's not really separate in the episode. It's all kind of different angles of the same thing. I think they're all individual plot lines, though. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm agreeing with you now, having broken it down the way we did. But watching the episode, it doesn't feel that way as much. I would have to say either Francis or Hal. Because I just, I love Hal. I love Brian Cranston and his dumb, goofy interactions with people. I love the way that that ends, especially with the real meat. I was outraged. But I, I think I'll have to give it to Francis. That is also what I went with. I really, really, really liked the way that they did that. And while it doesn't make him the best kid, because, you know, he did some shitty things. But that's, the... that's why the award, David, isn't best kid. Correct. It's least shitty kid. Fair. <laughs> but uh, anyways, I, I, I thoroughly enjoy that bit where they where they deconstruct that and tell these stories in a very quick manner we've beat that to death so i don't want to go too in-depth 
Yeah, I, I don't really have anything too much to add to that either. It's all the stuff we already talked about, the conservation of time with the storytelling, the way they use sort of genre tropes to ha have essentially storytelling shortcuts. It's all just really well done. Agreed. And it was also, I, I think it's a nice plot line to have immediately following Francis Escapes. Yeah, because you've already established now Francis is this hopeless romantic. Right. And now you go right into yet another episode of that. You get the, the side effect of learning about Francis, that he's always that hopeless romantic, and that's sort of part of who his character is, rather than just being a plot point for an episode. Yeah, so that wraps up our awards. But every episode of Malcolm in the Middle, as the theme song plays, we get a bunch of clips, both from the show and from various media clips, uh, presumably stuff that the boys would be watching on TV. This one, the next one in order, is the image of a robot head being put together. So since you've been doing this, I've been trying to watch to find all these to see if I can recognize fucking any of them. Nope. Where's it from, Jake? It is from an episode of Out of the Unknown. The a, fuck is that? It is a BBC show, ran from 1965 to 1971. That would be why I don't know it. It was, uh, essentially every episode was an adaptation of a different sci-fi short story. Ah. Uh, the episode this is from is Liar, which is an adaptation of an Isaac Asimov. <laughs> Isaac Asimov. <laughs> A uh, short story of the same name, which is apparently about a robot that develops telepathic powers. What? And it is using its telepathic powers. Scientists are trying to figure out how it got these, so they're, like, questioning it. The first law of robotics, which is that they can't do harm to humans. It is lying about what it's reading in other people's minds, which then leads it to do unintentional harm. Which, uh, when it finds out it has done unintentional harm to humans while trying to avoid doing harm to humans, it goes into a comatose state. If you would like to give us your input on who the shittiest and least shitty kids are, which have become the main source of argument in these episodes recently... <laughs> 100%. You can follow us on Twitter, where we are at unfair underscore podcast. Put up a poll for those every week. Uh, and you can also send us any questions or anything that we missed, any general comments or anything you'd like. You can also reach us by email, where we are lifeisunfairpod at gmail.com. So if you don't use Twitter, you can reach us there instead. But if you want to watch us play video games and join in on that, if video games and D&D and, and things like that are something that you enjoy, you can find us on twitch.tv slash lpdeathray, where we are Let's Play Deathray. We are variety streamers. We do game playthroughs. We do variety streams on Sundays uh, with game playthroughs on Wednesdays, as well as intermittent streams uh, as time allows in between there. Find us on Twitch. Find us on YouTube. Search Let's Play Deathray. We'll pop right up. If you like the parts of this podcast where we yell at each other, there's a lot of that. And as always, remember, life is unfair. Oh, I was just going to pause for dramatic effect. You can edit that out, though, right? <laughs> no. We can't make the secret sound a long pause, David. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>